As we get ready to open up scripture, I want you to think about a question. What is the hardest thing you've ever been asked to do? And also, who asked it? Think about that today. As we do, let's let's stand for the reading of scripture. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and also Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And Matthew chapter 1, verse starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he's considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And we turn to Luke chapter 2, we're reading verses 1 through 6. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. It's the reading of the word. You may be seated. Just as a... Uh, Small teaser for uh, ne- next week. We'll be having, of course, our, our standard Sunday morning worship service, Christmas Eve. But that night, Christmas Eve evening, we're going to be having that candlelight service. So I encourage you all to uh, be out here. It's always a, a good time to celebrate as we, we look forward to, to the birth of Christ and um, letting the world know that he has been born and he's coming again. Amen? So I want you to, to think about that question I asked you earlier. What is the hardest thing you've ever had to do? Think about that. For Joseph, I think we, we could see in this text what the hardest thing he ever had to do was. I want, want you to imagine be, being Joseph for just a moment. You're, you're young and you're in love. You've, you've become engaged. And, and their culture was a little more than engagement. Here, you, you ask somebody that, to, to marry you. You give them a ring. And if things don't work out, usually at worst you've lost the ring. And, and they'll go their own way, and there's no legality to it. In their culture, it was very much the moment you said, will you marry me, the ceremony was performed, and you were considered husband and wife in all things except those things that, that lead to childbearing. And so when it's talking about them being betrothed, Joseph can't just go, you know what, I see what you did over there. I know what, what this means. We're done. Take your bags and leave. Joseph doesn't get to say that. What he's doing here is he doesn't want to put her to shame and make it known why they're separating. So he's trying to find a way, a quiet way of doing it. Because if he accuses her of what she would be accused of in adultery, there was only one sentence that would be carried out. He'd be granted the divorce, she'd be taken to the edge of town, and everybody would grab these large stones and start throwing them at her head until she died. Death by stoning. So when you, when you see Joseph does not want to shame her, he doesn't want her to be killed. He does love her. And so this is very hard for him to take. 
And of course, he, he's struggling with this internally, and so what happens? We have an angel of the Lord visit him in a dream and tell him it's going to be okay. This child that is inside of her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Be clear, this is God's child here. And so what is Joseph being asked? He said, Joseph, you're going to be the earthly father to God himself. Good luck with that. Think about that, how, how hard of a task that would be. I'm sure Joseph had the like, how could I ever teach God? How will I do that? How will I protect them and care for them? All of a sudden, you know, all those things that, that Joseph does. You know, Joseph's one of those like many men and women in the Bible. We, we read a little bit about him and we don't hear very much afterwards. We, we have this scene where Joseph goes to Bethlehem and registers and then eventually he'll flee to Egypt and we see him one time when he, when he loses the Son of God. That's the only other time you read about him. When, when Joseph and Mary, they, they lose Jesus. He's still out in the temple and they've gone back home. You know, we hear laughable stories sometimes where, where people leave their kids at daycare or forget to pick them up from a sporting event or something like that. Imagine forgetting to pick up God. Oops. <laughs> that, that would be a, uh, a, a slight mistake to make for sure. We see that he does not want her put, to put to shame. And I want to draw out the fact that, that Joseph, we can see a lot of the Heavenly Father example to us in him. Why does Joseph take... Mary to Bethlehem. Well, most of us know the story very well. As soon as they arrive, she's about to give birth. There wasn't a lot of time for, the, for them to delay. Why does he take Mary? This is a census, a registration for taxes. She didn't have to go. As his legal wife, he could have gone on their behalf and registered and then gone back home to Nazareth. We see that uh, uh, the Caesar ha- has ordered this to happen. Now we could look and we could see the divine providence of God. That while, while Caesar thought he was going to collect a lot of taxes and make a lot of money, God was really using this event to get Mary to be where she needed to be to fulfill the promise that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. If he, she would have stayed in Nazareth, that would have, uh, there was no way that, that that would have fulfilled God's promise. That would either mean Jesus is not the Messiah or God's a liar. Either one does not work for us. And so we see God's providence in all of this. But I want us to see with Mary, because she is being uh, taken with, Joseph again is trying to, to help her not bear that shame. She has conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit inside her womb. And as we all know, the farther along pregnancy goes, the more obvious it is that the lady is pregnant. The problem being is that she is betrothed and not, not fully married. And, and so if she is... Uh, having a child and seeing being pregnant, people are going to start asking questions. The gossip is going to start going around town. And Nazareth was not a big town. You know, there may be gossip in Aurora, but you could probably avoid 99% of it. Not Nazareth. That'd be like living west here in Sandwich or another small town like that where everybody's going to know your business. I grew up in a town like that, Princeton. Everybody knew everybody. Even when you leave, they still know who you are. And that's the way it would have been in Nazareth with Mary. And so what is Joseph doing? She she's, has these people talking about her and has, has the shame of being that outcast. And he says, Mary, come with me. You don't have to put up with that. And in fact, it would be a really long time before they ever show back up in Nazareth. They didn't realize that at this time. But I think you and I, we could see a portrait of God the Father in this. 
You and I, we, we have our, our shame from our sin. We, we commit sin. But God says, come, follow me. I will take all that shame. What, what does God do when He takes our shame? When he, he invites us to follow. Jesus, later in the Gospel, says, says follow me. And, uh, J- Joseph is told that you shall call His name Jesus, for He will take away the sins of His people. We too are His people. He has taken away our sins. But first He has taken that shame. It's been laid upon Him on the cross. What is the difference between shame and guilt? Over here we have shame. What a shame. It's, It's hidden. It's in the darkness. It has not yet been exposed to light. I have sinned. You have sinned. We all have those sins in our life where maybe we haven't confessed it to our brother or sister. We haven't got down on our knees and confessed it to God. It's still shame. It's still in the darkness. What God tells us to do is to take that shame and bring it to the cross of Jesus Christ. Bring it to the light. Allow it to be seen and say, I am guilty. I need a Savior who is going to take my place. In our Sunday school class, we're, we're reading about the, the story where Jesus is on the boat and He calms the, the storm. We, we see a great example of faith and also a great example of, of fear. <coughs> they say to Jesus, Lord, wake up, save us. We're about to perish. You and I, we all need to say, Lord, save us. Why? Because we all have that shame that needs to be confessed as guilt so, so that we can bring it to the cross. We need to stop hiding it like God doesn't realize it's there. God knows it's there. You're not hiding it from Him. You're just bearing it down and allowing the devil to twist it inside of you. Bring that shame out and confess that guilt to God. Of course, we know in that story, Jesus gets up from the boat and He speaks to the, to the wind and He calms it because He is in control of the wind and the seas. He is in control of everything. You think there's any sin that's, that you're hiding secretly that God doesn't know about, that God can't forgive you for, that God hasn't already paid for it on the cross? It has all been paid for. So when Joseph takes Mary with her, he does not want her to suffer that shame any longer, does not want to have to deal with the world's ridicule. Our Heavenly Father is the same way. He sent His Son so that we don't have to listen to the world anymore because we are no longer part of the world. That our sin, our shame, it has all been exposed and forgiven. The world, yes, may bring it up time and time again, but God will not. <coughs> the Scriptures declare that it is separated as far as the east is from the west. We could debate how far that is, but you, you'll, you'll never be able to join the two. You'll never get west by going east. You'll never get to the east by going west. It, it is truly impossible to happen. Now, There's another point I want to point out. It, it seems to be uh, popular this time of year between different religious circles on, the, um, on Mary specifically. Was Mary a virgin? Is it important? There are evangelical preachers out there that will tell you it's not important. I tell you they are not Christian. Why is it important? Got a small list for you here. If Jesus has been born of a human father, then he is just a human. He has no ability to die for your sins. If Jesus is just a man, then he can't be our Savior. If Jesus is not the Savior, there is no gospel. There is no hope, there is no salvation, no resurrection, no point at all to his life or yours. It is important that Mary was a virgin, that Joseph was not his biological father. 
As good of a man as Joseph probably was, Joseph's seed can't save you. It's God and God alone that saves. So when we, we see people out there that say it's not important that, that she, she be a virgin, they are wrong. Now we have people on the opposite side of the coin that want to make her a virgin forever. That's just wrong. She was a virgin. It says clearly here that after Jesus was born that Joseph and Mary knew each other biblically and they had other children. We know from Scripture at least six other children. So you cannot call her a virgin any longer. To do so is to deny the Word of God. I wouldn't deny the Word of God. Read the end of Revelation. It doesn't work out for you. It really doesn't. So Joseph is a great example of this Heavenly Father. As, as they make that journey to Bethlehem, he's taking Mary with so she doesn't have to suffer that shame anymore. You don't have to suffer that shame anymore. God has sent His own Son so that when we place our faith in Him, when we place our trust in Him, we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins. There's not a single thing here anyone has done. I encourage you to, to if you have a sin in your life that, that you're still wrestling with, forgive yourself. God has forgiven you. Stop allowing that shame to be buried inside you for the devil to use against you. You have been forgiven. Forgive yourself. Too often we go our, our whole lives and continue to beat ourselves up over a sin that has been put to the cross, been nailed, and has been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ centuries ago. But you're still beating yourself up. Why? Because you're listening to the lies of the devil. Well, we admit that we are all sinners. I am as well. I didn't have such a great day yesterday. There's there events that happened where I didn't act as a pastor should act. I didn't act as a Christian should act. And I had to get before God and confess that sin. And there are going to be moments where we all have to do that. None of us is perfect. It doesn't mean we're no longer Christians. It doesn't mean God doesn't love us any longer. It means we still wrestle with the flesh. And we need to crucify the flesh and do as Christ has told us to do. When we, when we look at, at their travels to Bethlehem, and when we see that there's this moment where, where when they, they get to Bethlehem, there's no room in the inn for them. Now, the inns in, in 2,000 years ago were not the Super 8 motels that we have today, or definitely not the Hilton's. Basically, they would have been in one big building, and it only would have been for travelers. The local people would not have, have desired to stay there. In the middle of these places, that's where your animals would have gone. And on the outside, you would have the places for the people to sleep. Now, there were laws in those days, because it was one giant room. If a, a man came to, to stay, and there was already women staying there, that he would have had to keep moving on, because that would have violated uh, the Jewish laws. And also, if a woman was pregnant about to give birth, she would not be able to stay there. Why? Because she would be exposing herself to the other people and it would make everyone in the room unclean and they would not desire that as well. So we see as we look forward uh, to, to the, the event of the birth of Christ, why you know, Mary and Joseph were in such dire needs. They had to go to this town to register to comply with the law of the, of the land. And there's many times you and I are going to have to comply, comply with the law of the land and, it, and it's not easy. But at the same time, God always provides. God provides for Mary. It may not be the most extravagant place, but He provides a place for, for His Son to be born. And I think we look at it, all of us were born into a world better off in a better 
better situation than God himself. What do you think about that? Who here was born in a hospital? Nearly all of us. That is much better than being born in a manger. To call it a barn would be too elevated above something it is not. There was nothing sterile there. There was no housewives, no midwives there to help out. No nurses, no doctors with excellent skill. There was no backup C-section room for, for Jesus. Understand, God provided for his son. He provided for Joseph and Mary. And Joseph's task was to provide for Mary, was to obey the command of the Lord through the angel. It says, soon as he awakes from this dream, what does he do? And Joseph arose and obeyed the command of the Lord. He took Mary as his own. Even that there would have been all that sin and the shame, and, and all that shame, all that gossip that would have been heaped upon Mary is now heaped upon Joseph, a man who desired to, to live a, a right and righteous life. There are many times where this world talks about you, badmouths you, says you're this for being a Christian or that for being a Republican or that or for being a Democrat. Stop listening to the world. Listen to the Word of God. And what does God's Word say? It says that you don't have to worry about that shame no more. You put it at the feet of the cross. You confess your guilt and God is faithful to forgive you. So as we, we look as this next week, get ready to celebrate Christmas, I want us to think about Exactly what the birth of Christ means. What does the, the birth of Christ mean to you? I mean, God has become a man and he has come to die for your sins. And a day is coming where those songs we sing about, like home, where we get to go home, we get to be with Jesus, we get to be with the man who saved us from our sins. We get to thank God personally for that. So I started with that question. What is the hardest thing you've ever been asked? And I asked you, who asked it of you? Did God ask it of you? Hmm. God has called us all. If you profess to be a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you've been given spiritual gifts, and God has given, given something for you to do. What is it? Are you doing it? As our brother Steve out in Mendota would say, God doesn't call wimps. He's called you for a purpose. And the purpose he's called you for, he has you in mind to complete that purpose. Brother and Darren and I, we, we work hard. We, we love the Lord and we love all of you. But the two of us alone can't do it. I know there are many here who, who wear six or seven hats and I thank all of you. But those that are Staring back, looking puzzled, like, what has God called me to do? You need to have a conversation with God. He'll make it known. And I guarantee you it won't be easy. But it will always be worth it. Because you will bring God glory and honor. And you'll be able to, to look forward to that day when we are home. Let us pray. Abba Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the hope that we get to look forward to going home one day. But that day is not today, Lord, and we have work for you to do. Allow us to do that work, Lord, with, with all haste and with all desire to please you and bring you glory. Not for our own namesake, Lord, but for yours. It's in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. So if there's anyone here today that does not know Jesus as Lord, does not know what that means, I want to invite you down as we play this final song to come and pray. I'm not going to tell you 
a prayer to to pray, but I will pray with you as as you talk to God, because this is between you and Him. Now, if you're here and maybe you don't you don't know what God is calling you to, I encourage you to come on down. We'll pray together with you. Or maybe there's that shame in your life, that sin that you need to confess to God. Come on down and confess it. The altar is not just for those that are looking to to find Jesus. It's for those that have already found Him and need to talk with Him. I encourage us all to come down.